0: Jesus amen all right so now I'm going to ask you to turn to 1st Corinthians chapter 10 verses 23 through 33 and when you found your place please stand for the reading of God's holy word all things are lawful but not not all things are helpful all things are lawful but not all things build up let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that, for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Reading the word, may be seated. A lot going on there. We'll get into that in just a moment. What exactly Paul, Paul's getting at there. But as I said, the, the final sola in Latin was something known as Sola Deo Gloria, which means glory to God alone. At the end of the day, we'll, we'll talk about what it, what it means to, to bring glory. But at the end of the day, we are a people that, that should desire to bring God glory, not our, ourselves glory. We should not be looking to, to build our own kingdoms, but Christ's kingdom. As we, as we think about what it means to, to live as Christians, you know, what does it mean for us to say, you know, glory of God? What does that mean to you? Do we understand what glory means? We often will talk about it like, you know, when we sing songs like home, one day we're going to be home, we're going to be in glory. Our bodies will be glorified. We, we use phrases and terms like that, but do we know what it means to bring God glory? Speaking of bring God um, honor. You know, when we speak of, we look out in creation, we, we see that the all of creation declares God's glory. The heavens, the universe, the stars, the way they're majestically made, we, we look and we're just in a, that sense of awe that only God could have done this. When we look out at the oceans and marvel over its vastness and the amount of seas and the creatures that live therein, well, it should bring us to awe and we should give God glory saying, only God could have done this. And when we look at our lives and think of where we have been, the sinners that we have been, and now how we've been made new creations in Jesus Christ, it should cause us to awe and say, only God could have done this. You can't look at me and say, well, look at all the hard work Dylan's put in. He's made himself out to be a great man. No, I am nothing. It is God and God alone who has done this. And that's what we mean by give God glory. If we were to boast about ourselves, we are actually robbing God of his glory. We should not do that. Oftentimes we'll we'll have um, places and people will talk and you can think of things like funerals. And I have been to funerals where where people are generally well-meaning and they're trying to encourage one another. And they say, well, God just needed another angel in heaven. Really? Think about that statement. God needed. Does God have a need for anything? No, you're actually blaspheming God when you're trying to encourage someone doing that. No, God doesn't need anything. And what does it mean for you to become an angel? That person is actually lowering yourself more than you deserve. A day will come where those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, who have generally been born again, been, been regenerated, have come alive in the Spirit. We will go to heaven and we will not be below the angels. We will not be equal with the angels, but you will actually be above the angels. The Apostle Paul says, do you not know, church, that you will judge the angels? Think about that. So we have these moments where we try to encourage each other, but what we're actually doing is we're taking away the glory of God when we do so. We need to make sure that we use the the right things when we encourage one another. We do not need to do things that discourage people. You know, think about the the grieving person. You know, they're trying to put meaning into losing a loved one, and you say, "Well, well, God needed your your spouse more than you did." Really? What does God need? What does God desire? What is our purpose in life? Many people will ask us and will look at Scripture and say, what is my purpose in life? We all have a very specific purpose that God has created us with. He has given you good works to do before the foundations of the earth. That is what Ephesians says. But specifically as a group, why has humanity been created with a singular purpose? I want you to say it with me. My purpose in life is to bring God glory. We do that through worship. Say that. My purpose in life is to bring God glory. That is why you have been created. You've been created to bring God glory. The testimony of your life will bring God glory. Well, yes, we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But because of his son Jesus Christ going to the cross, we can be born again and bring God glory through our lives by the way we live for him. Want us to look at, you know, exactly what what this glory to God means? I'm going to read a passage from uh, the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. Now, among those who sent out to worship at the feast were some Greeks. The, these are these are pagan non-believers. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoke to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the rule of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So will we see with Jesus Christ, how does he bring glory to the Father? It's in his death in his obedience to God's will. Jesus Christ says he when, when he is lifted up and he has been lifted up for 2000 years now that he he will draw all people to himself. He is drawing you. He is asking you come and and receive me so you may bring God glory. When we think about as a as churches we send out what we call missionaries. We send out people to Africa and Asia, South America, here in the United States, to Canada, Russia, Europe, Ukraine, Everywhere in the world, we send out missionaries. Why? Because I could come here Sunday morning, and to us together, we we worship God, and by doing so, we bring honor and glory to God, and it is right that we do so. But 50, 60 people, while we may bring glory to God, how much better would it be if there was this church and thousands of other places with people from those countries? The more people that come and worship, the more God is glorified and honored. That is ultimately why we send out missionaries. Jesus tells us to do this in Matthew 28. Send them out, teaching them all my commands, baptizing the believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when the whole world is worshiping God as He deserves to be worshipped, then He will truly receive the glory that He deserves. When I dive in this passage here, Paul tells us, you know, all things are lawful, but not all are helpful. This is Paul telling us that just because something is legal does not mean it's good for you. There are a lot of things in this life that, that are legal for you to do. You could go out this afternoon, you could go buy alcohol and drink. You could go buy cigarettes and smoke. It is legal to do so. That does not mean it is helpful for you. And why why is he starts talking about food and these various things? What exactly is, is he trying to get at? He's telling us that we need to make sure we protect our witness for Jesus Christ. If you were... If you and I were to go to a party, a, an unbeliever invites us to a party and says, you know what, let's go watch the football game afterwards. The Bears will probably lose, but we're still going to watch and have fun anyway. And they, they bring out drinks. They bring out alcohol. And they, they, give, they give one to me and they give one to you. Now, if that person believes that it is sinful for a Christian to drink alcohol, if we partake in that alcohol, what happens? We lose our witness to that person because they view it as sinful. That's what he's talking about, the conscience. It is sinful to go against your conscience. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. Now, of course, as a Christian, it would not be sinful for you to partake in this drink unless you become drunk. That is strongly forbidden in Scripture. But me, my, myself, as a pastor, it would be sinful for me to do so because Scripture condemns the, the elders from drinking. And so we need to examine ourselves and look at it and say, you know, the, the way we're giving witness to others, are we giving God glory in doing so? This is what he means when he says, you know, don't ask where the food came from. Because in those days there was many temples. Like in this town there are many churches and there a few other uh, pagan houses of worship. You could go to many different churches in this community. And that, that day, there was not many other churches in the community. There was one. But there were many pagan temples. And so what people would do is they would go and sacrifice to these temples. They they would make a have a uh, a pig roaster or various things where they would put the animal up on the altar and, and they would burn it. And, and what would happen afterwards? Now, obviously, a fake God can't eat that pig. So they would take that pig and they'd carve it up and, and serve the meat in the marketplace and you could go and buy and sell it. And the Jewish people that day, they... They had a law that said, if you go to the marketplace and buy, you must ask the person selling, has this been offered in worship? Because if it had, it would defile you. It meant you could not partake in that meat because it had been offered to a, a false god. What Paul is telling you is, do not do that, because if you find out it is, it will violate your conscience. But he says, if that person invites you over and they're serving that meat, and you already know that it has been offered to an idol, you cannot partake because you would be sinning against God. Because you're violating your conscience. At the same time, Paul, Paul tells us, if you do not know, do not ask. Therefore, you don't have to worry about your conscience being violated. And he, he goes on to tell us, because why is it wrong for me to give God thanks for the meal he set before me? If I give God glory and honor in, in what he has given me, how is that wrong? He's like, I, I am doing this so I can befriend the person, show them the love of Christ, so that they too may come to believe and give God glory. And when we examine our lives, when we, we look at, at where we, we go in this world, many of us will go out tomorrow and, and or even today, go to our places of work. When we go to our places of work, are we doing our all in all? Are we being everything to our employer that we should be? Are we giving God glory the way we work? Let's be honest. Many of us, when we go to work, are lazy. You know it to be true. But if you claim to be a Christian and go to work and give a half-hearted effort and are actually being lazy, what are you doing? You're making Christ out to be lazy. It is not you alone who are being lazy. You're making the body of Christ, and you're making Christ himself seem to be lazy. So what Paul is strongly warning us against, To not give your best in anything is to withhold glory from God. There can be no ser- more of a serious charge for a Christian than to withhold glory from God himself. The glory is not mine. We often will, will speak about times where, where uh, we're going to be in glory and God says he'll give us these beautiful crowns that we're going to put on our head. And we, we talk about these crowns and we want to uh, throw them at the feet of Jesus. Ultimately, we want to be with Jesus The rewards we get are going to be nice and wonderful and we'll praise God for them. But ultimately, all the glory we get from doing what we've done in this life, we are going to give it right back to Christ. Because without Him, it would be impossible to do anything good for God. Without Him, without the cross, without Him shedding His blood, I would still be a wretched sinner. And if you knew me then, you would hate the man that is your pastor. I am not that same man. Thank God I am not that same man. And I pray you can say the same thing as well, that there's been a a point in your life where you no longer were that person. God got a hold of you, and He changed you from the inside out. You didn't just start acting like someone who goes to church, but God actually got a hold of you and gave you new life. That is what we long to see with everyone. We are never to give an offense, Paul says, to anyone, to the Jew or to the Greek, that is, to the believer or the unbeliever, we are never to give an offense to the church of God. Be careful when you, when you cause your church to be an offense to the world. What are you doing? You're defaming the, the, the name of the bride. I want us to th- think about what's going to happen if, if I were to go out these doors and, and witness something in the parking lot, you and your wife go out into the parking lot, and somebody starts attacking your wife verbally, and then starts pushing her. What are you going to do as a husband? You're going to put that person in their place, right? And I, I know the husbands here would. Do you think Christ will do anything less? If we mock his bride, the church, do you think he's going to allow it to to go unnoticed? that way? He's like, it's okay, it's only my wife. No. Those of you who have spouses or who have had spouses know what I am talking about. I'll share an example. This, this last Friday, about once a month, I try with my daughter to have what we call a daddy-daughter day. We were having lots of fun. Mom actually had a little accident with her engagement ring, so we got to go and get it fixed, you know, and my daughter was just on cloud nine because she got to help pick a ring for mom. You know, thank thankfully we were able to to fix that the very same ring. So there wasn't needed for a new ring. But as we're we're driving home, we get this phone call from my wife and I'm driving, so my daughter answers it and she's like, Dad, you gotta get home now. And I'm like, What's the matter? It's like somebody's trying to break into the house, cause you know, well what had happened is uh somebody had gone up to the door and tried to open the door. It seemed like maybe it was a door-to-door salesman trying to put the hanger on the hook or something. But so I'm like, okay, we got to get home now. And she's like, Daddy, what are you going to do? Somebody's trying to hurt Mom. And I said, well, I hope they know the good Lord because they're about to meet him. <laughs> and, and she looks at me and she's like, really, Dad? And I'm like, that's my wife, your mother. If they're messing with her, they're going to experience my wrath. You know that, that is the reality. And every husband here should have that same response when it comes to their bride. Do you think Jesus will have any less of a response? His bride is mocked and scorned and spit upon each and every day. There's many who claim to be part of the bride that simply are not. We should pray for them. Because a day is going to come where the groom comes and they're realizing... That the altar that they're standing at is not the altar that where Christ is going to be. They're going to be left alone. We need to be in prayer for them. Paul tells us that we need to be all things to all people. That is not easy to do. But Paul says he does it not for his sake. Not so, they will say, look how great Paul is. But they will. he is doing it for Jesus Christ, for the sake of those who have yet to believe. So that they can experience this love, this transformation that Paul is, has experienced. Most of us have not experienced what, what that experience that Paul had in that moment. You know, Paul had that Damascus road where he's literally going around killing Christians. Thank God 99% of Christians don't have a testimony where they're going around killing Christians before they came to God. It would be hard to accept their testimony. But with Paul, he's on the road to Damascus and he is blinded by Christ himself. Christ does not put up with you attacking his bride very lightly. But as we know, Paul becomes this great missionary, a great evangelist, and he goes throughout much of the known world at the time, planting churches and giving God glory and, and going and in, into those temples where people were worshiping false gods and showing them the errors of their ways. And he was trying to be all things to all people to to, to, to those who, who needed a the theologian, he was going to be a theologian. To those who, who needed somebody to be a pastor, he was going to be the pastor. Whatever the role that that person needed, that is what Paul was going to be, and that's what he's getting at here. He says, I didn't do it for myself, but I did it for those who have not yet believed. And I will call upon us. There, there are people here, and there's going to be people out in the world, in your families, your neighbors, your coworkers who have not yet believed. Maybe they're fans of Jesus, they, they like Jesus, they like to, they like to come and, and sing the songs on the radio. All those things are great, but they don't make you a Christian. It's giving your life to Christ. He said, come and follow me, and believe I am the one who God has sent. It's important that, that we believe, but our belief must be backed up in actions. There must be genuine faith being carried out. There must be that good fruit that Jesus talks about. Not that we are saved by this fruit, but that this fruit is evidence that we have been saved. Is there evidence that you have been saved? Is there evidence in your life? Can you honestly honest with integrity that, yes, I have been saved, and, and these are the things that God has done through me. Not that I should get the credit, but, but God should. That God should get the glory. For ma- many of us, you know, as Paul finishes here, In uh, the verse 1 of chapter 11, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. What Paul is saying, be like me because I am trying my best to be like Christ. I'm not going to tell you to be like me. Be like Jesus. Be like the one who has saved you. I will fail you. I've said it many times. I will fail you. I am a sinner like everyone here. There's going to be times where I let you down. There'll be times where brothers and sisters here that let you down. Forgive them. Give them grace. Give me grace. Give each other grace. We all need it. We are to be like Christ. Anyone who came genuinely to Christ to see, seek forgiveness of sins, he gave it. For those who wanted eternal life, and they, they sought it with the genuineness and were willing to sacrifice the things of the old way, of how they used to live in the world, He was willing to, to, they were willing to do that, he gave it to them freely. And we must do also. But I think many times we, we get to a point where maybe we think we're giving God glory. You know, we have an intellectual idea and understanding of what it means to be a Christian. That you come to church, that, that you, you believe in Jesus, and that one day when you go home, you will be in heaven. But if it's only here, and not in your heart, you have not been saved. You have not had that Isaiah moment. What do I mean by that? I, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was called by God, and he had this vision I'm going to read it for you from Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you, that day is coming for every one of us. Whether you believe in Him now or not, you will stand before the King of all kings, the Lord of heaven's armies, the great and mighty God you will stand in front of. And on that day you will not be able to say, well, I wasn't a sinner like my neighbor, or or I I wasn't fake like that person down the street or the person in the pew next to me. You are going to stand before God and have this agonizing reality set inside of you that you are a wretched sinner. And you're standing before a holy God. And there's not enough sin that somebody else could commit in the world to make your sin seem to be righteousness to God. You're going to stand before Him. You'll be like Isaiah and say, Woe is me! I am undone! I am lost! I am needing a Savior! And where will Isaiah find that Savior? He finds it in the Holy One standing before Him. So we need to take off all pretenses, take off the, the phony church smiles and say, I am here because I am a sinner and I need God to save me. Then you will be bringing God glory. And the deeds he has for you to do will bring God glory. But if we keep coming and pretending that, that, that you know I am better than this person and my sins aren't, aren't quite as bad as their sins, we're all still sinners standing before a holy God and there's nothing that we could do outside a cry for Jesus. But scripture is clear. Jesus himself is quite clear. He says, on that day, there will be many who have prophesied in my name, cast out demons. I want to really focus in on that part where he says, there will be many who cast out demons in my name. To cast out a demon is no small thing, no small feat. But because these people did not really know Christ, he will say, get away from me, you workers of iniquity, you evildoers, as some translations say. Who are those that will stand before God and He will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Those who have genuinely placed their faith in Christ. Those who have genuinely uh, brought forth the glory that is due to God. Too often we look at each other, we're mad at each other. Don't be mad at each other. Forgive each other. Give each other grace. Realize who you are before God. Paul warns us, don't think too highly of yourself, that that you are better off than, than others. The reality is we are all sinners before a holy and a righteous God. And I pray today that literally scares the hell out of you, because it should. Hell is not a joke. It's not some fanciful place that, that the medieval writers made up. It's a real place that Jesus spoke of. He speaks of the kingdom of heaven above all else. But number two on the category of things Jesus speaks of is hell. It is that important that we understand that we go before God and realize who we are. But also realize who he is. Christ is able to save. He desires to save. The scriptures declare that it is God's will that no man would be lost. His will is that for all to call on the name of his son so they may be saved. But ultimately the choice is yours. We've gone, we've gone over it. In these last few weeks. Salvation comes by faith alone. In Christ alone. By the grace of God alone. For the glory of God alone. That is salvation. That is what Luther and the others stood up for. That's what, what they said. We've gotten this wrong. We've been telling people they have to do this and do this and do this. And create this big long checkbox of, of things that you must do. How must you inherit eternal life? How must you be, be able to go to heaven? Believe on Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you will inherit eternal life. Not just here, but in your heart. You have to believe it. You have to have that moment as Isaiah had. And realize who you are and who God is. So in just a moment, we're going to um, play, play uh, a, some music, the, the altar call. And I want to give you an opportunity, if you do not know Jesus, to come down now. We will pray with you. As I said before, I'm not going to say these magic words save you. What saves you is the repentance in your heart when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. It is not easy to be a Christian. It is most difficult. But it is far worth everything that you'll have to give up. It is far better than what this world offers. Now maybe there's some here and you say, you know, I believe in Christ. Maybe there's some here who who believe that, that you're saved. I ask you to examine your heart. Has your life been one where you're bringing God glory in all that you do? If not, come down and confess your sins to God. You don't need to confess them to me. We are, we are all priests before a holy God. The priesthood of all believers, as the Scripture declares. You can say say your repentance to God Himself, and He will hear you. And there's one final thing I, I would like. I am uh, as a Baptist. I'm kind of anti-tradition. I joke that we are the tradition of being against traditions. That's usually how how Baptists are kind kind of known but that has become a tradition in itself. But I would like us to start a tradition in this church on the last Sunday in October to as we mark the Reformation and all that God has done in these last 500 years. Let us examine our hearts. Maybe we have sinned against our brother and sister here. If you had during this time of the altar call, I want you to go to them and ask for forgiveness. And if somebody comes to you, give them grace. And maybe somebody has sinned against you and they don't know it. If you are feeling wronged in your spirit, go to them, so you may talk about it. Let grace reign so that when we close this prayer service today at the end of service, that we may stand before God and God will have judged rightly that we harbor no sin in our lives, that we are truly united, so the devil may have no foothold. I don't ever desire to do what we had to do last Sunday. I desire to bring God glory always. So I encourage you as as you hear that music. Respond as the Spirit leads. But if we we leave today and we do not see others going to each other asking for forgiveness, let that be a sign and a testimony to God that we harbor no ill feelings towards each other. And let all sins from the past be in the past as far as the East is from the West. Because I know we're all human and sometimes somebody wrongs us and we tell them we've forgiven them. But then we don't really. And we bring it up another time. That is not right nor godly. That is sinful. Let us go before the Lord now. Abba, Father, Lord Jesus, may we bring you glory always, Lord God, whether it's on our knees in prayer, confessing our sins and declaring what you have done for us, Lord, or whether it's giving a mighty testimony, how you've used others in our, in our lives to draw us closer to you, Lord God. May we give glory to you and you alone, Lord. If there's anyone here who is lost and undone, who needs to have that moment as Isaiah did, Lord, who does not know you, let them come down and receive you as their Lord and Savior. Let them empty themselves of their sin and receive you, Lord. Make them a new creation, Lord God. Regenerate their soul. Let them be born again. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who is hurting, who, who needs just that time with you in prayer, let them come down. If there's anyone here who we've who sinned against, Lord, let us convict us and let us go there and, and heal those wounds, Lord, so that there be no more sin in the camp. There be no more leaven in this lump, Lord but that we be a holy and righteous people desiring to bring you glory. In your holy name forever, Jesus. Amen.